through 11. I added one more verse, so forgive me. This is the word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law and spirit of life has set you free. Free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. But sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. If we were to pause for a moment today and we were to make some honest assessments of things, what would we say? Most of us, and I think I've said this as we've gone through Romans before, most of us think that we're doing okay. We're nice to most people. We're not mean to others. Maybe some will be more honest. We're not proud of all the things we've done. We could do things differently. Some may remain indifferent. I've done nothing wrong. Who are you to judge me one way or the other? But Paul comes in our passage this morning and reminds us who God is. Throughout Romans, and particularly throughout our last few passages, our last few chapters, he's been contrasting the law and sin. And there's punishment that comes because of the law. We cannot hold our, we cannot live up according to that law. And so sin brings death to us. We've earned punishment, eternity apart from God. So if we were to consider our sins, each of us individually, we indeed have many sins, don't we? We fail to love one another. We fail to love our family, our friends. We, at times, actively hate others and at the same time hate God. So what hope is there? Paul asked us at the end of our, not last week, but two weeks ago on Easter, he says, what will deliver me from this body of death? 
Paul had cried out, what will deliver me? What hope is there for me? What am I going to do? And Paul today gives us this wonderful answer. He gives us the hope that we need. Paul is bringing this great, one of his great and triumphant conclusions. For those who are in Christ, eternal life has replaced condemnation. Eternal life has replaced death. And the spirit comes in and plays the dominant role or a dominant role in this. He says, you have newness of life and this newness of life comes with the spirits dwelling in you. The spirit who battles against and conquers the power of the flesh rescues the believer from captivity to sin and death, both physical and spiritual death. It accomplishes what the law could not do. It enables the law to be be fulfilled because we have his spirit. And so Paul cries out, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's the spirit applying the work of Christ to us. We are transferred from death to life. So as we consider this this morning, as we consider Paul's uh, passage, we're going to see three things. Life in the spirit, death in the flesh, and third and finally, salvation and life. Let's begin by looking at life in the spirit. Paul begins here with one of his great transition sentences. Therefore now, it's, it's a kind of this wonderful thing. He just has cried out, what hope is there? There is no, it seems apparently like there is no hope. But he says, therefore now, let me point you to something different. There is something more than this, this body of death that we are considering Therefore, now, no con- there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's an implication here, isn't there? On both ends of the conversation. For those who are not in Christ Jesus, there is condemnation. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. This has a judicial sense to it. The sentence that should be passed on you is no longer passed on you. You have been delivered from that penalty. You are in a state of estrangement from God. You are enemies with God, but he has delivered you from this. He has delivered you from the separation that was yours for all those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 said this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This goes very well with what Paul is saying here. He's saying that, Christ came and was made sin for you so that you could have life. I desperately wanted this to be my Easter passage. There's so much of the gospel in this, and I tried to fudge it forward, and I just couldn't do it. So I went, I kept back. But we see in here such the wonderful, beautiful message of the gospel. All the condemnation that we deserved 
was spent on Christ. It's not that the condemnation miraculously goes away. It goes somewhere. We have been liberated. We have been freed from the condemnation that was ours. And this is applied to us. Paul begins to do some things here where he's going in and forth, back and forth between Christ and the Spirit. That Christ, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are so intermingled when it comes to this. It's Christ's work being applied to us by the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. Free in Christ Jesus. Free from law. Free from sin and death. He's freed us. We are liberated. The sense of he has come in and he has taken away from us. He's sprung us out of prison as it were. This is a righteousness that comes apart from the law. It can only be obtained through faith. We are in a sense, we are not in a sense, but we are really released from the law through union with Christ. And as we are released from, the, from sin as we are released from death and we are in Christ we then get to live according to the law to, pr- to produce fruit according to the law this is the reality of what he's saying you who are believers you who are in Christ you have the spirit of God really residing in you applying the work of Christ The spirit of God has come with power and authority to bring you from the old age into the new age. You are free from the weight of sin, from the reigning of death. What must that be like? Do you feel liberated from sin and death? Do you feel liberated from sin and death? This word here, and I'm going to fubble it up if I say it a few more times, condemnation. It's such a weird word, isn't it? What does it even mean? I remember, it's funny, my sister sitting here, I think Ethan fell in love with that word for a while. Was it Ethan? And he would just be sitting in the car, condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. (laughs) And he had annoyed his brothers and sisters with it. And it's such an interesting word. What does it even mean to be condemned? But it's that very thing you think of, oh, this person's on, he's condemned to death. He has received the penalty and it demands justice. And so justice is death. then something else happened. Luther says it this way. This is somewhat of a lengthy quote, but Luther says this. It is as with a sick man who wants to drink some wine because he foolishly thinks that his health will return if he does. Now, if the doctor without any criticism of the wine should say to him, it is impossible for the wine to cure you. It'll only make you sicker. The doctor is not condemning the whole wine, or, or not condemning the wine, but only the foolish trust of the sick man in it. For he needs other medicine to get well. 
so that he can drink his wine. Thus also our corrupt nature needs another kind of medicine than the law by which it can arrive at good health so that it can fulfill the law. Luther puts very succinctly what we're trying to say here. He's saying, look, we can't do the law enough. We can't do it. We need another medicine so that we can go do the law. And he says that medicine is Christ. Christ frees you from sin so that you can there go for and obey him faithfully. And it's God himself who has done this for us. He says he's come in sinful flesh. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus came and participated in the human condition. He is able to be our substitute because he experienced the things that we've experienced. It can be somewhat uncomfortable to say Jesus was in sinful flesh. What isn't it? That's kind of hard. And Paul even, I think, feels a sense of this. He says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. And what's Paul hedging against here? It's not that Jesus was sinful. But the reality is this. He was tempted in every single way that you were tempted. And it has to be that way. If he comes and there's no real temptation, then there's no real sacrifice. There's no real atonement. Jesus, in a real way, exposed himself to the power of sin. But he did not become imprisoned to the flesh. Okay, so now you have Jesus here in human flesh, exposing himself to sin. And yet not sinning. But then what happens next? God condemns in Christ's flesh sin. He executes his judgment on sin on the person of Jesus Christ. Christ was made sin for us. He suffered the wrath of God in a real way for us. Again, it's not like God says, okay, I want a people and we have this problem of sin, but that's okay. We're just going to, I don't have a rug here, but I'm going to lift up this rug and we're just going to sweep it under the rug. We're going to call it quits. That's not what happens. God is just and justice must be fulfilled So this is what he does. He says, okay, I'm going to send my son. And he's going to take on your being. He's going to be human in every way that you are human. He's going to be tempted in every single way that you are tempted. So. We were gone last week. And so we're walking through the French market in New Orleans. And this guy's sitting there, I'm walking, I'm taking Luann, her, whatever it was, her crepe that was filled with, like, all kinds of goodness. And this guy's sitting down, and he pulls out something, and some money falls to the ground right next to him. So there's a thought here now, right? I could pick up that money, and that money could be mine. I didn't do that. I picked it up and said, sir, you dropped your money. But there's the temptation, right? So when that happened to Christ, Christ was tempted in the same way. It was a real temptation. When Jesus is in the desert and Satan is confronting him, it was a real temptation. 
Let me give you the power without you going to the cross. It's a real temptation. But he never gave in. And all this was done so that the righteous fulfillment of the law might be accomplished. Christ fulfilled all that the law has demanded. He was perfect in every way. And yet the punishment, the punishment that we deserved was poured on him. And now the power of sin is broken for all who walk according to his spirit. Augustine says it this way. The law was given that grace might be sought. Grace was given that the law might be fulfilled. Perfect obedience was the only answer. And that is exactly what Jesus did. And his righteousness, his his perfectness has been transferred to us. Christ becomes what we had to be. And now we are incorporated into him and we are to walk according to the spirit. We are to be like Christ. It is a necessary mark of the Christian life to be like Christ. And so I say, Christian, do you call yourself a Christian? Are you in this room and you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ? Then let me tell you something. The spirit of God is dwelling in you. Without a doubt. If you believe in Christ, then his spirit is right now dwelling in you. Now that should terrify us in a way. Because that means every sinful act, thought, word, anything. The spirit is dwelling in you. But it also is freeing. Because we know that Christ has covered those sins. But if the spirit is in us, if the spirit is really in us, then we cannot just shrug that off. It means we must live as if he is dwelling in us. Are you living as if the spirit of God is dwelling in you? Is it affecting your life in a real and tangible way? In your thoughts, in your words, in your deeds, in your actions? Are you living as if the spirit of God dwells in you? This is the call of the Christian life. We have life in the spirit. And if we're not living that way, if we're not living as if the spirit is dwelling in us, then what is the reality for us? Paul says in verse five, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Have we set our minds on the things of the flesh? If we are doing this, then we have nothing but death. There is an unbreakable connection between the spirit and life and flesh and death. It is the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. To become a Christian is to be transferred from one realm to the other. 
Being in the flesh is not possible for the Christian. It's simply not. Your condition is no longer in the flesh. And those in the flesh can never escape death. The flesh prevents us from doing anything that is pleasing to God. In in the flesh, the mind is hostile to God. There's no neutrality when it comes to God. You are either in Christ or you are hostile towards Christ. We don't have to go far to see this. There are things that the world will come after Christians for and Christians for doing that they'll leave other people alone for doing. And why is this? We as Christians take a stance on homosexuality. Guess what? Muslims take a stance on, on homosexuality as well. But where do you, do you see them coming after Muslims? On a whole, you don't. Why is this? Because people are hostile to the one true God. And they will hostily come after him. And so it should not surprise us. We shouldn't scratch our head and wonder. We should go, yeah, that's exactly what he told us in scripture. That they're going to be hostile after us because the flesh is reigning in them and it hates the things of God. The law of God remains the standard and they hate it. The conduct of the unbeliever will be measured and judged. They will be condemned by them. All those who are apart from Christ, and this was the state of all of us, are totally depraved. It's not that we commit every sin possible, but we do not seek after the things of God. We all share in Adam's sin. We all have the bent to do that which is not good. We don't care for the good of others. We don't care for the good of God. And all of this is sin. The desire of riches or station for power or for pleasure. All of this is a symptom of the same sickness. And in the flesh it only brings death. There's no neutrality. It it just strikes me as funny. Even from the, the standpoint of the atheist. The atheist will angrily debate the Christian. And I sit there and I scratch my head and say, if you really think I'm some ignorant backwater, why do you care about me? Why do you even bother with me? Let me be my ignorant backwater self and go on about your business. But they don't. They will cry out, you are wrong. And they're not angry at me. They're angry at God. Because all are subject to his law. All are subject to condemnation. Told you I was going to flub it. But, once again, Paul, but you, however, you, however, are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. You are not in the flesh, Christian. You are in the spirit. But at this point, you might be scratching your head and you might be saying, well, I don't feel like I'm in the, I'm in the spirit. I feel like I'm in the flesh. Uh, daily, I'm sinning. What's going on here? And Paul gives us hope. He says, but if Christ is in you, 
Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. What is Paul saying? Yes, you in the body, he uses two different words here. In one one hand, he's saying flesh. On the other hand, he's using the word body. The sense here is, is he's talking about the physical body. In the physical body, we continue to struggle with sin. And guess what? Guess what's going to happen to our physical bodies? They are going to die. They will. They simply will. And we continue in that struggle. But you, Christian, you have the spirit. And he gives you life because of righteousness, because of Christ's righteousness. And Paul gives us a guarantee here, this wonderful, beautiful guarantee. Hey, guess what? This spirit... He raised Christ from the dead. And if he raised Christ from the dead and he's in you, guess what he's going to do for you? He's going to raise you from the dead. He will give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's a certainty of the hope of the resurrection here. It's the wonderful conclusion of the, but there is now, now condemn, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the spirit who's dwelling in you is giving life to you who will transform your bodies. He will make that which is perishable, imperishable. We know the struggle does not end in this life. We continue to contend with and fight sin. And we must be fighting. But we also have to be those who have an eye on eternity Knowing that, yes, while our mortal, weak bodies will die, while they will continue to struggle in sin, that the victory for that struggle is already won. Our resurrection is secure. The one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also raise you from the dead. And so now you live with hope. Yes, we become disappointed with our sin. We become disappointed and we mourn the sinfulness, the things we do over and over and over again. But we find security in the spirit of God dwelling in us. Who is each and every day making us more like our savior. But this means we can't be complacent. There is a walk that we are to be walking it's our sanctification right each and every day we are to be more holy even like our savior is holy so we are to with diligence walk the christian life understanding that we have the spirit of god dwelling in us that that spirit has brought to us life that we are no longer in the flesh that we no longer serve sin That we no longer fear death. We understand what Christ has done for us. That he has given us newness of life. And therefore we live after him. Being transformed daily. Renewing our minds. Living as those with hope. I wonder sometimes... 
why it is so hard for us as Christians to talk about sin. I think what we like to do is go to church and put on our best clothes. And I don't, I don't mean physical clothes. We like to come to church and put on our best physical clothes or spiritual clothes. Hey guys, I got it all together. I'm good. I don't, what's your problem? I've got it. I'm right on. And we don't talk about sin very often. When the reality is this, every single person in this room today is struggling through some kind of sin. All of us. I can say that without reservation. If you're not currently struggling with some sort of sin, you're lying to yourself. I don't have a problem saying that either. You may not like me saying that, but it's just the reality. It's, it's what's true. We each have ugliness and grossness in our life that we're continuing to struggle, struggle through. And we have to be struggling through. We have to. Because we have the spirit of God indwelling in us. He is in us. We are to take that seriously. That we are not in the flesh. We are in Christ. Shouldn't it be easier for us to come say, guys, this is what I'm struggling with. Shouldn't that be easier? And why is it not? Because while there may be no condemnation in Christ, there's still condemnation from one another, isn't there? It's my prayer and hope that we as a a church, as a body, can understand what's true about ourselves. That we are sinners who are hopeless apart from the grace of God. That we are daily, continually struggling and wrestling through that sin. And that we need one another as we wrestle through that sin. We need each other. And that we're no, there's no difference from any of us. What do we understand what Paul is saying? We have life in the spirit. We have a new identity. Let us live as that's true. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the beautiful and wonderful truth that there is therefore now no condemnation. Would we know the hope that that brings? Lord, I pray if there are any here who do not know that hope, that they would come to Jesus Christ, that they would put to death the flesh that is in them by resting and trusting wholly on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let us stand now as we sing our closing hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less.